Amen. Indeed, it is good to be back in the Lord's house on the Lord's day. And if you'll take your copy of God's Word, or if you do not have one, there's one in front of you. And if you would turn to Psalm 39 as we continue to make our way, book, uh, chapter by chapter, through these uh, wonderful songs and prayers that we know as the Psalms. Tonight from Psalm 39. To the choir master, to Jedthan, a psalm of David. I said, I'll guard my ways, that I may not sin with my tongue. I'll guard my mouth with a muzzle, so long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail, and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned, then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end. What is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few hands' breadth, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man keeps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute, I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I have spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears. For I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. Amen. You may be seated. I read an interesting article a few months ago about Facebook employees and how they were taught and trained how to always think about what is next meaning that they are to think about the end of Facebook, when it will be no more, when it will be made obsolete, that everything that they are doing as employees will most likely not last much longer than a few years. Because in this ever-changing world of technology, they always need to be thinking about what is next, and therefore they need to be on the forefront of change. Otherwise, they'll be rendered useless. And that is why Facebook recently changed their name. They changed their parent name uh, so that Facebook would just become one segment of the larger company. Why? Because they did not want to tie themselves to a potentially sinking ship. And many would say in the technology world that that is probably already happening, that there are people that are leaving to other platforms and other apps and other social media websites and services. And in a few years, Facebook will be a social media has-been. And so in this world of technology, there is apps and even companies that rise up overnight and then they seemingly fall off just as quickly. I think that is an apropos analogy 
of what David is trying to say in Psalm 39. What he is saying is a picture of life here on earth, that our life is fleeting. It is a few hands breath. It is as nothing, a a mere breath. It, It comes and then it goes. And therefore, David says this, O Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days. And I wonder if Mark Zuckerberg and other technology employees think about their own demise as much as they do the demise of their own company. Do they think of their own ends and their thereafter as much as they do their own bottom line or their profits? Because the decline of their business is only speculative, but it is absolutely inevitable when it comes to their very own existence. And I don't know if they do or do not, but we as Christians ought to, and we must do so as instructed by Psalm 39. So that prayer that David says, O Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days is an appropriate prayer. We're to think of that at all times, but I think we think of it especially when life is difficult, when we experience trials and tribulations and pains in this life, when we see circumstances that are extremely unfair and unjust, not only when bad things happen to good people, namely God's people, but probably even worse than that, why do seemingly good things happen to bad people? And that is what David seems to be struggling with. And I appreciate his honesty, and hopefully you do as well, because these are things that we do not often verbalize because we don't think it's a very Christianly thing to do. But yet we all think it, don't we? And so I think David, obviously under the direction of the Holy Spirit in this very raw psalm, helps us to process our thinking about our life and about life in this world. And we'll see that in three points this evening, the inward angst, the outward anger, and finally the upward hope. First, the inward angst. David begins with this statement in verse 1. I said, I will guard my ways, that I would not sin with my tongue. I'll guard my mouth with a muzzle, so as long as the wicked are in my presence. I think this is an inward conversation with David himself, that he has a self-standard, that I'm going to exercise self-discipline. I'm going to guard my ways, especially my tongue. It literally means to to set a guard over my mouth. I'm to guard my mouth with a muzzle. And those are good analogies, aren't they? To set a guard at your mouth, to, to have, as it were, a muzzle over your lips. Why? Because a city without a guard in David's day is a defenseless city. They would all say that was a weak city. Likewise, a a wild animal without a muzzle is a dangerous animal. 
And so to a mouth without a guard is a weakness. It is not a strength. It is like a wild animal that is prone to lash out and to bite. And if you've done any study in the scriptures, especially in the book of Proverbs or perhaps in the New Testament, the book of James, you will see that the tongue and the lips and the words that come out are a frequent meditation, one of wisdom. That is how we're to look at the tongue, that the tongue is something that is to be tamed because it is naturally not so. It is like a, a wild beast that needs a muzzle. And I think there is some good practical wisdom that we need to hear from David at the beginning of this psalm. I need to guard my ways. I need to guard my mouth and my tongue. I might even need to put a a muzzle on it, which means to, to silence it, to keep our lips together at times. And David does this. He says he does this for two reasons, that I would not, first of all, sin with my tongue, but so also that he would not speak wrongly in the presence of the wicked. In other words, he wants to do it first and foremost for his witness to God, that he would not sin in his relationship to God, but also so that he would be a witness to others around him. And I think that is important, and it's a lesson that we need to learn because there is a trend that I hear these days, and I hear it especially in Christian circles, that we need to be raw, that we need to be real, and we need to be vulnerable. And that is true to a degree, right? We want to be genuine. We want to be authentic. We don't want to be hypocritical. We do not want to be fake. But if being genuine and authentic means that we need to be out there for all to see, then we need to be able to to spout off about this or that, or that we need to air our dirty laundry for the world to see, then I think that is wrong. Then you are doing nothing for the witness and the glory of Christ. I'd go as far as to say it's damaging to your witness in the world. If I got up here and spouted off everything that came through my mind or the sins of my heart, You'd be like, who is this guy? And why is he up there? We need a guard. We need a filter. We need a muzzle, however you want to to put it. And that doesn't mean that we keep everything to ourselves. As we will see in a moment, we are to bring our thoughts captive to Christ. We're obviously to to bring our thoughts to the Lord. We're to, to do so with select others. If you're married, obviously with your your spouse, that you should have that freedom to to speak freely in that relationship. And perhaps sometimes maybe even to to speak in a way that is uh, at times foolish, but just trying to get it out there. Maybe even so to a close friend or maybe an accountability partner or a small group of men or women. I'm saying that there is defined relationships in, in order to be a little bit more open and free But I think we need to stop this. We need to spew off everything, all our thoughts, our emotions, and our feelings, and hide it under this guise of being authentic or messy or broken. I think we need to take David's advice here. There's some good advice for the social media and Twitter generation. 
that I should guard my ways, guard my lips, and muzzle my mouth in order that I would not say too much and sin with my tongue or damage my witness when I'm in the presence of those that are unbelievers. David goes on to say in verse 2 that he did exactly this. He says, I was mute and I was silent, but there was a problem. I did what I was, said I was going to do. Externally, I, I followed the, the protocol, but internally I was struggling. He said, I held my peace, but to no avail. And my distress grew worse meaning I was not at peace with myself. I was not at peace within. And he goes on to say in verse 3, my heart became hot within me as I mused upon it, as I thought about it, as I churned it over, the fire burned within me. Have you ever had this happen in your life? No doubt you have. That you have these thoughts or situations or circumstances that are going on in your life and you just cannot shake it. The more you think about it, the the more bothered you become. Perhaps you're even awakened at night and that is often the time when it is the worst, isn't it? Because we, we churn upon it and like each thought, we become like a air in the balloon that becomes more and more and more and bigger and bigger and bigger until it reaches its capacity and you think you're about ready to explode. There's that serious angst within your heart, within your soul, that you're hot and bothered. As he says here, the fire burns, but it is not a, a good fire. And that's why he says at the very end, it's then that I spoke with my tongue. What was in had to come out. And I think that's what we see in our second point. We see this outward anger. And this next part of the psalm is is very much real. And it is very much raw, which seemingly goes against what I just said earlier. But notice where he directs his anger, where he directs his thoughts. Look, verse 4, O Lord. He does not say, O World, let me tell you my anger and frustration, but oh Lord, this is where we need to always direct our our thoughts, if they be right thoughts or sometimes even be wrong thoughts. They need to go to the Lord. And there is some serious heart honesty that David has with the Lord here. He, in a sense, gives full vent to his frustrations that he has. And I find it interesting, do you not, that who is it that David ultimately directed this psalm to? He directed it to the, to the choir master. He even gives his name to, to Jethan, who we suppose was the, the choir master at the time. Meaning that this psalm was meant for the choir. And you might find that very interesting. I find it very interesting because when you read through this psalm, you might think, David, are you sure? Are you sure this is for the choir master? Are you sure this is for the choir? This might be better suited for your counselor or for your psychologist. But no, David says this is meant for the church. It's to lead in worship. And I think this day, a side note, we're 
honored our retiring choir master. This psalm gives good defense and biblical rationality for that position in the church. But more, what it demonstrates is that what is expressed here is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is not just a a rant of a madman. Now, these are real and legitimate thoughts and feelings. Now, can our anger turn sinful and be sinful? Absolutely. I think in some ways David is is even confessing as, as much. But he is not alone, is he? No, he's expressing the thoughts of us all. There are situations, there are circumstances in life that, that indeed get us hot and bothered. And yes, we would even say angry. The psalmist in Psalm 73 says, When my soul was embittered, I was pricked in my heart. He says, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you, speaking to the Lord. That is, in a sense, David's reflections as well. That I am angry, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm hot, I'm bothered, I'm burning within. And why is that? Well, I think David is not only frustrated by his own states, but he's frustrated at the state of the the wicked. That the wicked, as it says in verse 6, seems to, to heap up wealth. That they gather it. And surely for nothing he is in turmoil. That is David. And it seems in verse 8, he goes on to say, it seems that I'm the fool and not them. And David is saying, I'm following your ways, O Lord. I'm pleasing you. Yet, O Lord, it seems that the, the wicked are blessed and your people are cursed. Again, the Psalm 73 is almost devoted entirely to that thought, isn't it? Where the psalmist says, behold, these are the wicked Always at ease. They increase in riches all in vain. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. And that is David's thought as well. He's undergoing hardships. And we don't know what those are or were. We don't know if they were externally. We don't know if they were internally. They were probably both. But we know that there was frustration and anger. Anger at the the wicked, no doubt. Frustration at his own situation, for sure. But also at the the Lord himself. David has no doubt who this is ultimately from. Look at verse 9. He says, I am mute. I do not open my mouth, for it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I'm spent by the hostility of your hand because it's you who discipline a man. You, you notice those pronouns again and again. It's the second person pronoun referring to God. God, this is from you. This is from your hand. You're the one that has done this to me. You know, the sovereignty of God has a, it's like a two-edged sword, isn't it? Without it, you have no hope or, or any confidence at all because it would just be 
be fates. It would just be random circumstances that is leading and guiding your life, which you can have no hope in that at all. But with it, you recognize that all things, good or bad, come from him. That he's the one that has ordained it or at least allowed it to, to happen. And sometimes you go through things and you say, why, Lord? Why? And don't be like one of those know-it-all Presbyterians when somebody asks that and says, well, it's for your good and the glory of God. Well, of course it is. But that is of no help, is it, in the situation? That doesn't help the person in their hurt and in their anguish. Job's friends didn't do everything right. But what they did do, which is to be admired and commended, is that when they first came, they didn't just come in and say, well, this is for your good and the glory of God, and then leave. No, it says that they sat with Job in the dirt and in the dust, mourning and weeping with him for seven days and seven nights. Again, what they went on to say sometimes wasn't so helpful, but at least they were there. They mourned with their friend Job. And so don't be a sovereign stoic. We need not cover over these emotions. David surely does not. And I say this as a a person that has rarely done this well, as you No, the last six years has had its fair share of struggles for the Smith family. My wife, my dear wife, has been on the direct end of that, and the rest of us mainly indirectly. And we've had a saying during this time that we need to to embrace the, the hard times. If I was a little more real or raw, I might use some other language than just hard times. But again, set a guard over your mouth. There's some wisdom to embrace the the difficulty. It is not easy. It's hard. It's it's really hard to see your wife struggle with an illness, to, to see her struggle physically and not to be able to participate in the things that she longs to participate in, to be cut off physically and, and spiritually and even socially, to be in isolation, to see our resources and our funds and our possessions lost to be so restricted and it's hard and to be honest it's it's still hard even as we emerge from a lot of that difficulty and then to look out at the the world especially in the in the midst of that time and to see them fat and happy as it were and seemingly healthy and that question comes up what what gives lord There's serious angst and bitterness and, yes, even anger. Saying, why, Lord, why? And we're not always given an answer. Perhaps you've gone through similar experiences when pagan coworkers get promoted in positions that you wanted, that you desired. When neighbors get new cars or new boats, or go on opulent vacations. And you are obviously outwardly happy for them, but inwardly you're seething. You're thinking, I'm just trying to pay my bills here, and they have excess, seemingly more than they know what to do with. 
when loved ones, when, when good people loved of the Lord and that love the Lord and are servants of his get cancer and illness and die. You can't help but think, why? Why, Lord? Why them? But what we find great comfort in is psalms like this and the testimonies of others that we are not alone, that this is not unique. In fact, I would say this is the, the testimony of most of the godly throughout the pages of Scripture and throughout the history of the church. Job says in Job 21.7, Why do the wicked live on, growing old and increasing in power? That's a great question, isn't it? Why do the Vladimir Putins get to the place where they are? Or the psalmist says again in Psalm 73, that the arrogance and the prosperity of the wicked, they seemingly have no pains until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. He's saying, this is unfair. This is unjust, O Lord. And it is. In my house, probably like in yours, you hear those words often, don't you? That's not fair. Like the caring and compassionate father that I am, I say, yep, and you better get used to it because the world's not fair. The world is not fair in the way that we want fairness. The world is not just in the the way that we want justice. And we grow weary, even at times growing in despair of life itself. And that is what David does here in verses 4 through 6. He looks at his life and says, Oh Lord, I don't know how much of this I can take. Make me to, to know my end. What is the measure of my days? How fleeting I am. That I'm a few hands breath. I'm as nothing before you. I stand as a mere breath, as a shadow. And he says this through, throughout this psalm. And you might read that and think, is, is David suicidal? Does he want to, to end it all? Well, I don't think that is the case. I think David is saying this life is surely fleeting. And this fleeting life is full of hardships and, and trials. And so David is saying, how long, O Lord? You who are righteous and holy, how long will you allow for the travails of this world and the toils and the pains of your people? Because honestly, I don't know how much more I can take, nor how much more do I want to, to be a part of a, a world like this. And if you've never been in that place before in your life, well, praise God. But not to be a negative Nelly, but I would say to you that you will. You will find yourself in a place like this that David is in. Because if you are a Christian, then you will understand that this world as you experience it, you will experience these hardships and, and these difficulties, but through it you'll see that this world, for all its glitz and all its glamour, is but a thin veneer. That there is nothing lasting. There is nothing of substance here below. And this psalm actually reminds me a lot of 
Ecclesiastes, or, or perhaps I should say Ecclesiastes, reminds me a lot of this psalm. And as I read it, it made me think, well, Solomon got a lot of this from his father, David. He understood life correctly and had the proper perspective. And Solomon obviously flushes it out more thoroughly in Ecclesiastes, but this psalm, Psalm 39, is surely the seed for the entire book of Ecclesiastes. And Ecclesiastes oftentimes is is given a bad rap as to be seen as a negative book. I don't think it's negative at all, is it? If you see it correctly, if you see all of the world, life under the sun from the right perspective, that in and of itself, nothing under the sun has meaning. It's a vanity, it's a vapor. The only meaning that it has is the meaning that is given to it by God and God alone. But if you remove God, then this world is a meaningless mess. So it makes me wonder and begs the question, is there any meaning in the psalm? Is there anything in times of trouble and difficulty and darkness that gives us answers? And thankfully there is, because third, we see that there is an an upward hope. In all of this, David does not lose the direction of his gaze. So he does not look to the world to solve these problems. He does not look to others. He does not even look to himself. He looks to the Lord. Look at verse 12. Hear my prayer, O Lord. He directs his prayers to God. And what does he learn? Well, I think there's several things that we can learn from David in situations like this. And there is good that comes out of even times like this. And first, I would say that there are sanctifying moments when the Lord disciplines us, where our loves, our other loves, and even our idols are rooted out. Did you hear that verse in verse 11? This is one that we ought to underline and mark. It says, when you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Isn't that true? Isn't it during times of difficulty and pain and struggle that it hits upon our our biggest fears? Or at other times, the, the greatest loves in our life, those things that we have unknowingly at times made idols And the Lord allows these times of difficulty to to reveal those aspects of our heart, those sinful tendencies, if it would be pride or if it would be comfort or if it would be other things that are not right. And what I think it shows is what we heard this morning. Just like Peter told this man to to pick up his bed. We oftentimes like to to make our bed, don't we? And to, to lay in it lay in our own comforts or our pet sins and securities. But it's times like this that we experience the refiner's fire. When the dross is burned away so that what remains is the pure gold of the gospel. David says here it's like a moth is consumed, like a moth to a fire that is. 
And as painful as those times may be, isn't it so better to have that now than in the day of judgment? Isn't it better to to experience that, that you're holding on to things that are a lie or things that are not a truth or things that are not lasting or things that are not eternal than to be holding on to all of those things and to experience the, the day of judgment to only realize that everything that you held on to and dear was dear was a lie and does not last. And so we can praise God that he is a father that disciplines. He does not leave us in our sin well, second, I also think that times like this have us to loosen our grip on this world. Notice what David says there in verse 12, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. We are sojourners. We are pilgrims in this world. This world is not our home. And who would want this world to be our final home. Hasn't this last week just demonstrated that again with the war and death and bloodshed along with sin and pain that we all experience? It would have us to long for a world to come. And David says that I am a sojourner, a guest like all my fathers. And it's exactly what the author of Hebrews says When he looks back and thinks of the lives of the saints that have gone on before, he says that by faith they were looking to a city that has a foundation whose designer and builder is God because they desired a better country as a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he's prepared for them a city. Here what the author of Hebrews is saying is that those by faith were not looking to this world, were they? They are looking for the world to come. And that is the hope that is placed before us always in the scriptures. In fact, as I was reading my devotions this week, I was reading through Romans and in Romans chapter 13 in a very practical section of the book of Romans. We would say this is not even a a very theological section of the book of Romans. And yet Paul says, for salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed because the night is far gone. And the day is at hand. Paul is saying there that salvation that we long for, every day we grow closer to it. The the night is fading away. The day is at hand. We have hardships to have us look to the world to come. Third, we keep our hope on eternal things and upon the eternal God Oftentimes in the Psalms, the answer comes in the middle of the Psalms. Oftentimes in our writing, we like to put our answer at the the very end, but the psalmist oftentimes puts the answer right in the middle, and I think David does so here when he says in verse 7, And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. My hope is not in the world. All of it is fading away. Nothing can be held on to. My hope is not in myself. I am a a fleeting breath. My hope is in you. David says, I don't understand everything that is going on. 
I don't always like what is going on, but it matters not. My hope remains in you, trusting in our Heavenly Father that He knows what is best, ultimately gives us the, the hope that we long for. And that leads me to our final good aspect that comes from situations like this, that God has already paid for our eternal hope and the giving of his son. In verse 13, it might seem that David doesn't end in a good place, but he says, look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. David did not have the pleasure of seeing the first coming of our Lord. But we know that through Christ, God the Father turned his wrath, you could say turned his frown upon his son. That his son became the propitiation for our sins. That Jesus Christ was the sin offering. He was the guilt offering. He was the burnt offering. He was every offering of the Old Testament. All of it was fulfilled in Christ, that Christ was our atonement and he became our righteousness. And therefore, we do not receive the Lord's wrath. We do not receive the Lord's frown. The Lord is not giving you this situation, this circumstance, because some way he is angry or he is mad at you or you are having to pay for your sins. No, if we know that all the wrath has fallen upon the Son, then we do never, never experience the frown of the Father, but we only experience the fatherly smile, the one that looks down upon us because of Christ and says, this is my son, this is my daughter, in whom I am well pleased. And I think the Lord, even in our trials, even in our difficulties, even in our circumstances, looks down and sees faithful sons and faithful daughters that, yes, are struggling, yes, that are going through turmoil, but are yet remaining faithful. They are keeping their hearts fixed upon the Lord. They are keeping their faith in Christ. They keep on praying, keeping their gaze upon God alone. And yes, that makes the Father extremely pleased. So much so that through Christ, the Father would say, yes, this is my son. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. And at the very end, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's joy. If that cannot make you smile, even in the worst of circumstance, then I don't know what will. Because Christ has indeed paid it all. There's no other payment that is needed to be made. And so even this trial, even this tribulation, even this affliction we know is ultimately for our good. It is for our sanctification and yes, even our salvation. As, as Paul says so famously in Romans 8, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
I entitled this sermon, Hatred or Hope. See, the worst circumstances of life will either lead to bitter resentment and hatred towards the the world or even hatred towards God, or it'll give hope. How about you? I tell you this night, because of Psalm 39, indeed, there is hope in Christ. There is eternal hope that he who began a good work will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus, that everything is being worked out for the good of those who are called in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so as David asks the Lord, Lord, that you would hear my prayer, you'd give ear to my cry, hold not your peace at my tears. We can say confidently that the Lord never wastes any tears of his beloved children, but uses them for the good and even for his own glory. And in there, and in that, there is hope, the hope of Christ. Join me in prayer. Lord, we thank you for psalms like this that are so honest, that show our heart and show our heart emotions, even parts of it that we may not like to reveal, ways that we, O oh Lord, are frustrated at our circumstances, ways that we would wish are so much different. And Lord, I know that each and every person that hears my voice has had similar experiences like this or perhaps are even going through similar experiences like this, O oh Lord. And would they, O oh Lord, continually direct their gaze to you? Would they lay their frustrations their bitterness, their resentments, perhaps even their anger at your feet, O Lord. Would they leave it there? And would you, O Lord, give them the hope that is only found in the Lord Jesus Christ, that if you did not spare your own son for our own sake, how will you not also give us all that we stand in need of, even in circumstances like this? Lord, we also would say, Lord, it is hard. It is difficult. So please do not forget your children in such circumstances. But give grace. Give peace, O Lord. And give solution, if you would, to it. So that we would, again, rejoice and be glad in you. For we pray this all in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.